0: Time travel in a box, all this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics, this land of high technology. The
1: revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers.
0: Musical pies, Elden Boy game ring,
1: Happy Birthday Blaskowitz, and it's the internet gen. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Dave, you're back. It's not Neil. I'm back.
0: No, I'm not Excellent. Neil. That's
1: Excellent. Fantastic. Are you pleased?
0: Yeah. Yes, I am pleased, actually. It was really good to have you on last time, and it's good to have you back. Um, and what have you been up to?
1: Fill us in. Well, um, I've been finishing off my game collecting. I've been um, scouring eBay to finish off the last gaps in the collection. I've nearly got everything I want. Um, my shelves are nearly full. Next up on my agenda is... Hardware repairs, I might even look at fixing my Atari monitor, I had the SC1435, the the one you want for the ST, which died the other week, sadly it just has gone, so I might be taking that apart and trying to fix it, what about yourself, what are you up to?
0: Uh, Well, tomorrow we've got the Perth Amiga Users Group meet. So that's exciting. That's always really good. And when I've said this before, I'll say it again. When we say Amiga Users Group, they really do bring anything. You know, there's going to be all sorts of machines there. Even Atari STs, Dave. So that should make make you happy. Um, All sorts of machines. Hopefully Vectrex is again, because I'm determined to actually have a go on one this time. Um, And one of my friends has actually got a working Philips G7000. Mine's not working. So he's going to take his along. So I might be able to relive some old childhood memories on that as well. So that'd be great um and other than that got myself sucked into yet another high score challenge i'm not going to go hardcore on this one well i say that now um but it's pinball dreams and i was more of a pinball fantasies guy and so was see for that yeah 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 i don't Me know too. why i just yeah um but this high score challenge my current submission is 14.9 million um which i actually achieved on the uh uh, a 500 mini by the way just sitting on my couch with the with the in, uh, boxed in controller uh, i guess the, that proves um, there's
1: no there's not there's not significant latency on it then well
0: let me let me say this here i'm at 14.9 million the score to beat at the moment is 80 million so <laughs> i don't think there's latency but if i can't get to 80 million then i'm going to blame latency i think that good idea good idea
1: fair. yeah <laughs> what about yourself been playing much uh i've been playing dungeon master um for the month of may's game club for retro asylum podcast then um, they do a game of the month for listeners to join in and play and i'm a listener um so i've i found game clubs are against high score challenges which you're doing are a fantastic way of motivating me and forcing myself to actually play the games rather than put it aside until i do something else first um dungeon master might be my most played game Uh, i love it it's an absolutely wonderful dungeon crawler the levels are well made it's balanced and um when you play later games you can see where they've gone wrong whereas dungeon master is nice and simple and tight um and i'm also about to drive down to see neil at the cave for the the coloring in the cave event
0: oh that'll be fantastic oh so oh you're going down for the coloring in the cave so you've got the coloring book i've got the coloring book do you you know my problem with the coloring book and i love it neil we love your book
1: I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> well, you can get, you can print off the PDF and you can colour yes. in the PDFs, but it's not quite That'll the same, is it? Way. It's well, not quite the same. it might
0: be better. It might be better. Maybe never, you should have I, bought two. Maybe you should, buy another, lines, I Maybe I should buy another one. lines, Dave. everybody should buy another one everybody should buy two one to color in and, and one to keep unspoiled yeah yeah cool um you could color it in tartan dave um i could i could i wouldn't I, I, I could on I that actually i'm very jealous that you're going to the cave because obviously i do and hopefully it'll be later this year that i will hopefully get there um but yeah we'll see um i have also don't take offense at me asking this question dave but i've I've seen floating around on the interwebs an xbox controller that is a Scottish flag. Have you have you felt the need
1: to buy one to remind yourself I, of where you come from? <laughs> I I um I, I don't ever forget. Um, I haven't seen the one in the Scottish flag, but I have seen, um, I have seen very recently the the, the Microsoft Xbox controller with tartan on it. Uh, mm. and it's proper official tartan they've got it registered i think it, i don't know if it's now the xbox or the microsoft tartan whichever it is uh, but it's proper official tartan it's a bit too green for my like i prefer blue and purples in my tartan but having seen the tartan one then i think maybe the one with the saltire which is the, the saltire's the name for the scottish flag with the st andrew's cross uh seems a bit less offensive so maybe i'll get a skin for my controller and get the the scottish flag on it maybe nice maybe yeah that'd be nice yeah um now with neil not being here i understand he left you some homework to do how did you get on with that
0: did he, did he he's, he's told tales we should probably we should probably explain as well to the uh to the listeners um just because we've had to slightly change the recording schedule last week's episode hasn't aired at time of recording so yeah that's why you wouldn't have heard neil give me the homework and um yes he did indeed give me homework dave and it was to play neighbors on the amiga everybody needs good neighbors (laughs) they do need good neighbors and neighbors needs a good game is the assumption i've come to or the conclusion i've come to does it have a good game? no i don't think so look in all honesty yes i have done my homework and i've played it for about 10 minutes which is probably more than most people could stomach um it reminds me of that hoverboarding level on back to the future 2 for reasons i'm not sure i was a bit disappointed i thought i was choosing my character on the opening menu and of course i I could choose to be Bromwyn. why why wouldn't you um and no i was actually just choosing who i was racing against yeah kylie was at the start um and Bromwyn was at the far end but all you're doing is choosing how many how many of the neighbors you're racing against in a you know unexplained skateboard race around the block um and yeah it's just as if you remember back to the future 2 and how frustrating that hoverboard level was you've played Neighbours in your head then, because it's exactly the same feeling of just having zero control, uh, zero notice of what's coming up. There's a pothole, and for whatever reason, despite whatever you do, you can't seem to avoid it, and not a pleasant experience. But I'll see what else the game has in store. Maybe there are other levels that I'll enjoy more, but I'm not holding out much hope at all. So yes, yes, I did. But I think think we should get into
1: today's stories. I don't want to talk about it any more than that, Dave. Let's do it. So the first story today is submitted by Reese. Uh, control out Reece. Um musical pies. So do you like pies, Chris? I like a cherry pie, or an apple pie, or a steak pie, or a scotch pie, or a pumpkin pie, or even pucker pies I like. Do you like pies, Chris?
0: I do indeed. I do indeed, Dave. And we, and you're talking about my kind of pies now. So even today, in fact, today, not a word of a lie, went out to one of my favourite patisseries and had a nice beef and chilli
1: pie. Uh, what do you ask? Well, there's another kind of pie that we like, which is a Raspberry Pie. And among loads of other projects, is maybe my favourite Raspberry Pie project. Uh, it's the MT32 Pie from Dale Winham, also known as Dopefish. I've been closely following this project since I first heard about it in 2020 and I got it working for the first time I think about 18 months ago with Edu Arana's hat for the Pi which he calls the Pi MIDI which I think is the first hardware released for Dale's MT32 Pi project you can see it there it's just a little Pi sitting on um, attached to a hat which gives you the the MIDI in and the outputs and so on Um, Dale started the project in 2017 but he wasn't happy with it running in Linux. So he set it aside and came back to it in 2020 as a lockdown project on Circle and released it in GitHub in July, 2020. The project is a port of Munt. So Munt is an MT30, a Roland MT32 emulator that's been about for years and years and years. I've used it uh, from a long time ago onwards with X-Wing and Tie Fighter, uh, among other games. The sound improvement over the Sound Blaster is phenomenal. Dale has, so Dale's project is porting Munt to a bare metal Pi implementation using Circle. Um, a bare metal pie implementation using Circle. What that means is it, it means that um, it runs on a very, very um, close, to, uh, close to the, the, the metal um, operating system. It, re- it doesn't use much of an operating system. So there's no kind of overhead, nothing else going on in the background. It can run cleanly. Um, so he's done that, and then later he added another program called Fluid Synth to the project. So that gives you general MIDI support. So you then have the MT thirty two for the older games like Monkey Island, Sierra games, etc. And also, the you've got the the general MIDI support for later games like Doom. Um, original hardware is difficult to get hold of and expensive. So original MT thirty two is the older than you or the um, the v- different variants the. Are very expensive very difficult to get um some of them break down uh and the the later ones uh the general MIDI ones are are expensive as well sc55 sc88 so this little project allows you to have all of that in a little pie in a little form factor that's ideal um in your hands uh much cheaper um and i think it's it, it gives you certainly just as good but i actually think it's better than owning originals because you would have to have several different mt32 so it's several different um mt32s t- to have what you have with an mt32 buy
0: that sounds cool I, I i i recall even back in the day these were you know prohibitively expensive to get your hands on and you know they seem to have got
1: even worse as time's gone on so yeah what's, what's dale come up with now then sounds interesting so he's now created and has started to sell his own hardware for his own project so this is i guess you see this is the official hardware for the MT32 Pi project. His is in a neat 3D printed case with a stand if you want it uh, in a choice of colors with a decently sized screen so you can see the secret messages that some games put out. Um, Space Quest 3, for example, put a little message that would appear on your MT32 screen if you had one that said, insert buckazoid. Um, (laughs) It's nice to get those little things that nobody else would know about. Um, The projects become also really popular in the mister community um really popular there and his new hardware has an experimental option for a a signal enhancer to try and deal with some of the problems caused by longer cables so he put the hardware up for sale and within two minutes the enhanced one sold out literally 120 seconds gone and within a couple of days they'd all sold out everything sold and he he didn't expect that at all um i'm all right though i did manage to get one so he's going to have to get that soldering iron out again and maybe he'll end up with as bigger print farm as Neil and Richard will. Now, my favourite MT32 soundtrack is from Dune. I, I think it fits the tone of the novel and the game so well. I even bought the CD of the soundtrack back in the day. Um, the ultimate games that support MT32 sound fantastic too. And of course, everyone loves how good LucasArts games sound with it as well. Have you played around with MT32 or even general MIDI music in your Favorite games. I know that you're an X-wing fan, and uh, have you heard the wonderful IMUs? The the, the way that the Lucasars had the music change based on what was happening in the games. Have you heard that with uh, in, in the way that Lucasars wanted us to?
0: Ah, look, that's a that's a very good question, and it delves deep into how I felt when I first moved over to PC, and X Wing was one of the first games I got my hands on. So let's tackle the first part. No, I never had access to an MT thirty two or any MIDI device back in the day, and part of that problem was a my assumption that these were designed for musicians or for studios, recording studios, that kind of thing. and part of that would have been because of the price I saw attached to them. I really didn't assume this was something that you added externally to your PC, keeping in mind most other upgrades are internal, to make games sound better <laughs> because they were expensive. Uh, and even buying a PC at that period, and I jumped over in around 92 into 93, I think is when I jumped. It's a bit of a blur memory. Seems to be. Yeah. Okay. So that's when you jumped from the ST? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that's when I jumped from the Amiga and what i ended up with was a used 386dx because that's all i could afford with 4 meg of ram and a 65 meg hard drive and um you know initially i'd start playing games and all i got was these internal speaker farts and beeps um at least it was an amstrad that i bought actually and it, the, one of the good things was it had quite a good quality speaker inside and it had a volume knob to control the speaker of the uh, the, the internal speaker of the pc which very few pcs with internal speakers had it was either on or off you know um, but complete and utter disappointment sound-wise from what I was used to from the Amiga. So, of course, one of my first upgrades was a Sound Blaster card, which was, for me, was Sound Blaster 16, or it was uh, the Creative Labs uh, Sound Blaster Pro 2, I think is what it was called. That's the one before the
1: 16, yeah. The Pro 2 is Oh, okay, it was the
0: one before that. Okay, and then the 16 became the one everybody cloned afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. you would buy a Sound Blaster Pro, uh, sorry, a Sound Blaster 16
1: compatible generally yeah. is the, the that pro right? t- yeah. the, the pro 2 was cloned as well um yeah the, the, okay the pro 2 and the, the 16 were the two kind of popular ones yeah that yeah I live. So,
0: so that was one of my, the first things i inserted into my pc and of course then of course the, the game sounded better but compared to what i was used to on the amiga yes there was more channels or voices you know or, or however you term it um for it to use but it didn't sound as good. It didn't sound as as full and as rich. And where I noticed that specifically is in that the music for X Wing, which is great, and you know how the music changes as you mentioned, depending on what's happening within within the game, is you know it's, it's it's such a good way to do it and so um, engaging. But especially it was, it was mainly the percussion instruments and particularly the snare, it just sounded like a wet fart. And I, I hope nobody's offended by the word fart, but that's what it sounded like compared to what I was used to from the Amiga. So yes, you've got more channels, but if you've got fart noises coming out of those channels, you're not really gaining anything. Some of it was, of course, very good. So, you know, the, the laser blast from the X-Wing sounded like something I would hear in the movie. So that was yeah. that was pleasing, but the music just sounded wrong. So then you get into games like Doom and I, um, part of my thinking was, keeping in mind, I had a 386DX. A so Doom didn't play great anyway. Part of my thinking, which was probably wrong, was, well, if I stop it playing the music, then maybe that gives a little bit more resources for it to play the game better. It didn't really work like that. But anyway, um, but also it's not the music back then isn't something I really got into. So I would just play my own music and I got into playing Rage Against the Machine, and therapy, so very aggressive, very hairy music, running around Mars or hell, depending on you know where, where you'd progress to, blasting everything away with a shotgun or a chain gun. In fact, um, it was at this point, one of the very few times in my life, Dave, right, when m- my dad came into the room. I'm playing Doom, I'm a gamer, right? <laughs> I'm playing Doom on my PC. I've got a blackout blind over my window to get rid of the screen glare, but that means my entire room is in darkness in the middle of the day. And I've got this boom box above my desk, blaring out Rage Against the Machine. And my dad comes in and he has a chat with me to ask, is everything all right, Chris? Are you doing all right? Is there anything you need to talk about? Because they were, they were worried about me because this is what I was spending my time doing. And then either my dad came in at another occasion when I was doing the same thing, or they might have sent my brother in for this one to ask if I was on drugs, literally, that was that was the result of me spending my time doing this. But, you know, proudly say, not judging anyone, but I've never touched drugs, but I have touched doom and rage against the machine at the same time. And that's probably a pretty close experience. Um, but the reason why I say that is I did that because of, you know, the sound out of the, the sound blaster wasn't particularly great if you're into music. So that was my preference to actually play something. And that was on audio cassette, but I still deem that as better. So it's only recently that I've started to hear how good these games should have sounded, how they were intended to sound, thanks to videos on the internet by people like LGR and Control-Alt-Reese. And they sound amazing. So, you know, part of me wants to say I missed out back in the day, Dave. But to be honest, I never had that kind of cash to splash around on equipment like this. Um, So, yeah, I I didn't really get to hear games how they were intended, to be honest.
1: Maybe the Amiga spoiled you. The, the, The ST... It's what I had, and I switched to PC maybe six months before you, so around about the same time. And it was a 386DX I moved to as well. But oh, cool. maybe the Amiga spoiled you. The ST could do uh, tracker music, the ST could do um, could sound just as good as the Amiga does with tracker music, but it was heavy on the CPU. The Amiga could do it properly on Paula, the ST couldn't, so. It was it just didn't happen in in game for us. So you might got it in the title menu, like Speedball Two, come up. You got that great music, but in the game you got music on the YM chip, which is fairly similar along the same lines to what you would get with an OPL. The OPL is actually better. So for me, I didn't notice that downgrade. Um, the PC could actually do it though. The PC could do music the same way that Mega did. You mentioned uh Pinball Dreams and Pinball Fantasies earlier on. If you paid played Pinball Fantasies on the PC, you got really what you could call Amiga Amiga style music. Because it yeah, wasn't right. done through MIDI, it wasn't yeah. done through the, the synth. Yeah. it was done through the, the the digital audio side of things. Um so digital audio, is that the right way to explain it? Whatever it was. It was done through kind of sample we'll things. It. it was done through a, <laughs> yeah, a mod basically. Um yeah. so yeah, um but when you hear and it's a long time ago when I heard them for the first time because months been around for that long when I heard them for the first time properly the difference is incredible uh, the, 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 it's much much better with the uh, it's much better with uh, the MT32 or the general MIDI sound um, so closing thoughts on this thank you for submitting this Reese. Dale does say that he will make more available and he'll put them back in sale I, I did drop a message I dropped a little email and he did reply and since he's from Newcastle I will try to do it in his voice. I've been blown away with how quickly they've sold. So I'm very thankful to the community for their support. And I hope to... No, he, he, he is from Newcastle, but he doesn't have a thick accent. He's got a very, very, very clear, easy to understand, soft accent. Um, I've been cruel here. Um, what he says is, I've been blown away with how quickly they've sold. So I'm very thankful to the community for their support. And I hope to make some more available in the next few months. I will definitely be investing in more 3D printing capacity to try and speed things up because I've done everything so far on a single Prusa Mini in my bedroom and it takes forever. So Prusa is the type of printers that um, Neil actually uses in the cave Probably they use the, the, the full-on ones and they've got racks and racks of them. So Dale's got a little mini cave going on there printing is off. So um, thank you again to Reese for submitting that. Great project. And uh, hopefully Dale manages to keep up with demand. Um, so
0: actually before we wrap this up dave out of interest what kind of price were these uh, are these going for
1: so this doesn't include the pi zero that that you need for it but the um the pcb and accessory kit was 55 and then the mini adapter um the case and the stand were six pounds each so the the total cost to me was 78 pounds 96 so when i add on um the cost of the pi 20w when I manage to get one, because they're sold out everywhere and people are scalping them, uh, when I do manage to get one, it'll bring the total cost up to uh, just under £100. Um, so for for to replace the MT32 and the SC55 and be able to change exactly which soft fonts and which model of MT32, I think that's a bargain.
0: Dave, I understand you're a bit of a, uh, a role-playing um, fan.
1: So have you played Elden Ring at all? no no i haven't but it does seem like my cup of tea so as far as i understand it's a sequel of sorts to the dark souls series i I do love an rpg and that series is really highly regarded people talk about it in the same way that they do about the elder Scrolls series and so on the series is renowned for being difficult um which is maybe a bit of an appeal to me I, i like the idea of being difficult rather than um the current RPG games from Bioware, where you click and get the next bit of dialogue and click and get it there. Um, so I'm only now getting around to playing Dark Souls. So I've started playing Dark Souls and really struggled hard with it. Um, I think my uh, game-playing skills are not what uh, a young person's are. Um, so I'm going to perceive, uh, persevere with it, but I've been told to try again using a gamepad rather than a keyboard. So maybe I need maybe I need a gamepad with a saltire on it.
0: yeah fair enough I've, i've got to confess not only have i not played it but every time i keep glancing over the title i assume it says elder scrolls no todd howard is not trying to sell us the same game again it's a very similar font and look and feel to the box i understand. just me yeah yeah it just looks anyway so that's the amount of times i read it as elder scrolls when i saw this new game emerging but anyway it is of course a 2022 action role-playing game developed by from software and published by bandai namco entertainment Uh, well according to what i read on tech radar anyway and it is available on most platforms including playstation 4 Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5. Don't know what one of those is. Never seen one. And Microsoft Windows. And Game Boy. What? You heard me right, Dave. Yeah, Game Boy. Okay. <laughs> so bear with me. Bear with me. So not it's not actually available yet, but it's in development as a fan project by a developer and streamer, Shintendo. Um, and it's described as a demake. So, rather than like everybody else does with let's let's take you know the obvious example Doom, where they take Doom and they force it to run on something that it shouldn't, like a pregnancy test kit or something um instead of doing that and squeezing it down into you know old hardware or or you know less than uh, adequate hardware it's a complete remake of the game but in the style of an 8-bit era adventure role-playing game um you know the kind of thing you would have seen on the nes or the master system or of course the game boy So I guess the best way to explain it is if you imagine early Zelda games, you know, that sort of top-down, sprawling landscape through which your adventurer traverses, um, it's that kind of view that he's gone for. Um, So according to the story on Polygon.com by Nicole Clark, Shintendo and his friends love playing Elden Ring, but they also love uh, uh, development projects. So the story includes actually a video from Shintendo himself, where he shows off the gameplay and the graphics, uh, but it is incomplete. And the way he himself describes it is he says it's the gameplay at the current form is a bit akin to playing Adventure on the Atari 2600. Mm -hmm. So certainly not complete yet, but don't dismiss it on that. The graphics actually look amazing. They look like something you'd have purchased and loved for the Game Boy back in the day.
1: What are your thoughts on this, Dave? Shintendo shaken not stirred um i probably struggle less with this game than i would with a real elden ring um i'm not always that keen on d makes if all they do is give you an inferior experience um i just i like the idea of this one because it's not doing that it's doing something that's to the strength of the platform it's on so you're not going to be playing this thinking i wish this was a real thing um a good D make for me it has to either stretch a platform to the limits, um, or it has to create a game that suits the platform really well. Yeah, no, that's that's good comment. I think you're, you're right, and that's why you know it's all
0: well and good to make Doom run and everything, <laughs> but. This is this is something completely different, you know. Actually, making it so that it suits not just the platform, but the era that the platform came out in, which is a completely different experience. So, I've not played Elden Ring. I've not played many games of this style, but I certainly did play some. So, I had limited exposure to Zelda. To be honest, I didn't really get into Zelda that much until Ocarina of Time on the N sixty four. But and I only really sounds like a funny thing to say. I only discovered this week that I've actually played the SNES version linked to the past um, when I was having a chat with somebody on Discord and they mentioned playing Zelda on SNES. And I immediately said I didn't get into it until the N64. And then I thought, wait a minute. No, that does ring a bell. So I went and looked up the screenshots. And you know what it's like. You've forgotten something until you look at a screenshot or a video and you go, yes, I remember. I don't even remember that room. I remember going through there and, you know, whatever. So I did, buy I don't think I played it much. That Those days for me, the SNES days, I was playing games for a short period and then taking them to this little shop that would give me cash for them so that I could go and play laser tag which I was hopelessly addicted to but that's a whole other story the one I spent the most time on though was a little game not many people talk about it that much but axe battler on the sega game gear and that is a bit like this as well so it's again a top-down adventure game uh, role play game But then it goes into, so you'll be walking through the landscape and then it will throw you into a battle against a creature. And so, you know what these games are like? You're walking through, let's say you're walking through the forest. So top-down scrolling, very similar to Zelda. You're walking along and you can't see any enemies on the map screen that you're walking through. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, you're in a battle. So you can't even avoid the battle. You can't even go somewhere else to sort of, upskill your character and then go back for the battle you're just forced into this battle that's what i remember of that game but it was i spent quite a lot of time on that on my game gear one of the few games i actually spent a lot of time playing on my game gear to be honest and of course everybody's been exposed to pokemon which gives me a similar feel to that um But the quality of the look and feel of this Elden Ring port, it really does sort of hark back to that style of graphic. You've got the castles, you've got the walls, you've got the the gardens, the forest. Even though he's only shown very little, you really do get that sense um, from what I can see so far. So what about yourself, Dave? Were you into this style of role-playing game back in the day?
1: Well, yes and no. Um, I was definitely into top-down RPGs I played enormous amounts of hours in them uh, so many hours in ultima 4 ultima 5 and so on similar games like that demons winter a few other games on like that as well and there's loads of similarities there but i've never put any time into japanese rpgs jrpg style games not really i've loaded them up in emulators and played them for a short time but i'm really never really stuck at one um so maybe i i will try it one day i don't know what the the ideal jrpg for someone that's never played any of them to start with is maybe someone can tell me in the comments maybe that can be my homework but um i've played loads of rpgs top down ones but not the jrpgs as for this D-make, i love the way it says you died right across the screen which is a really necessary part of the the dark souls game experience i also like um also, you mentioned the graphics. I also like that they've chosen a style of graphics that works well on the Game Boy. The Game Boy is yeah. good at some stuff, and if you've seen a bad Game Boy game where they where they've not really understood what the Game Boy can do, they try to put graphics on there it doesn't suit. It looks terrible. But this 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 little game has chosen graphics that do work well. Nice, yeah.
0: I mean, D makes as well. I mean, that's that's an interesting topic in itself, and I'm just thinking of my exposure to those. Um, on my Atari Twenty Six Hundred flashback, so I've mentioned—I don't know how many times I've mentioned that thing—but um, I purposely got the one I got because it's got an SD card slot, and so I could download ROMs. So I found a package of ROMs that has a thousand and one ROMs on it, and as I'm cycling through, I'm going, "What Shadow of the Beast? <laughs> What's that doing on here?" So I have a play of that, and in fact, as we talk about this, I'll, I'll give some footage to Duncan. I'll, I'll record some footage and give it to Duncan to to overlay. But yes, you can play Shadow of the Beast on the Atari 2600. Is, done it, better? A is it
1: better than the Amiga game? Because it wouldn't be Nothing. hard to be better.
0: No, well, stop it. Look, uh, look, I can actually eject you from the recording room, I think. Um, <laughs> it, it's
1: a fantastic tech demo for the Amiga. It shows off stop what a fantastic it. platform it stop is. Stop it. Moving it on. But the game itself, <laughs> is the game fun? Is Shadow of the Beast any good, Chris? You play Shadow of the Beast the Amiga. So, so, yes, I have, Dave. So, moving on. Also,
0: the other one I found on my um, uh, flashcard ROM image was Halo. Yes, Halo for the Atari 2600. And actually, this fits in with this conversation because he's got the opening screen, again, footage for Duncan, and you can see the Halo rotating in the background, but in 2600 graphics. And then when you actually get into the game, it's kind of like a top-down RPG adventure game or shooting game kind of thing, and you're walking screen to screen, and it's flip screen, you know. So again, yes, it's Halo, but it's not going to be a first-person shooter on the twenty-six hundred. So what have well, they like done? Gauntlet? They've they've gone to yeah, kind of like Gauntlet. I almost want to say almost like E.T. Actually, it, it didn't it didn't play great, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's there. Somebody's given it a go. They've gone there. You go. It's Halo. Off you go. Go and play it. So yeah, what about yourself? Played many um, D makes.
1: Um, I played. Some I don't know if they they would call themselves demakes, but I play some on my on my Amstrad CPC. Um, I, you could say the D-Makes. I mean, Pinball Dreams. I think everyone's seen Pinball Dreams on the Amstrad CPC. Um, tremendous. I mean, it's a port port of the. the it's a, it's an Amiga and PC game, but it's really a, it's an it's an Amiga game. Um, it was it was ported to the PC. The PC could do what the Amiga did at that point. Um, but it's it's at its heart, it's an Amiga game. Um. It is maybe stretching to call it a demake because the play style remains mostly the same um you don't it, it doesn't it, you don't feel as if you're playing a cut down version of it um there's quite a few puzzle games that have been put to the cpc that um that are kind of demakes um through the there's a spanish annual retro dev uh, competition um baba's palace is one that i particularly like it's a um it's a it's, it's a remake a of another game that i forgot the name of um but um yeah the people bringing puzzle type games indie games to the cpc I, I quite like those um a lot of demakes though are people saying well i wonder if i can do this and it's not necessarily the goal to make a game that's the best to play
0: yeah i mean for me i really like this approach to to not force an old device to play a modern game but to essentially build a period correct port Of the game instead. So the link can be found in the subreddit and it was shared by Starcade 2084.
1: So our next story is Happy Birthday Blazkowicz, submitted by Reese again. He's in with two this week. Um, So Reese has shared some news on one of his favourite games Wolfenstein. Uh, Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. (laughs) <laughs> I know we have German viewers, so I apologize for my terrible pronunciation. And maybe someone can definitively answer in the comments, because when I did some Googling, I got conflicting answers. I even tracked down a clip of John Romero pronouncing it as Wolfenstein, so I don't know how you actually pronounce it. Wolfenstein 3D is an Ed an game inspired by a couple of earlier Apple II games. Uh, the first was back in 1981, so that's over 40 years ago i think wolfenstein is regarded widely as the first shooter in the fps genre um and while it's not the first it's the first one that went mass market and it's certainly i think the first one that brought so many of the things that we we have together in a way that lots of people saw and played um the first is actually midi maze on the the commodore amiga sorry no the atari st
0: um
1: (laughs) And midi maze, you can have up to 16 players in a, a fairly basic maze connected through midi ports. Because of the Atari ST came in midi ports, why not use them? It wasn't a particularly famous game, and it didn't start the genre. But you could have, back in 1987, you could have had a room full of Atari STs playing what, would, what wouldn't happen for another five years' time uh, with LAN parties. You could have done it. I don't know that I have not heard of anyone actually doing it. Um, <laughs> so it didn't quite set ignite things as, uh, as much. Carmack and Romero were the programmers behind Wolfenstein. And before this, they had made Hover Tank 3D and Catacombs 3D. And I, I think they came out in soft disc. And you can clearly see them using the same engine, refining it and improving the gameplay before they came out with Wolfenstein 3D, which they must have got enough right for it to become massively popular um and it was quickly followed by doom and of course we all know the rest so wolfenstein 3d was released on the 5th of may 1992 um so chris did you play wolfenstein back then when it was released oh heck yes and if i'd have answered no
0: to that one i should quite rightly quit the show Dave, that, that would be the end that would be if you haven't played wolfenstein come on what are you talking about retro gaming for at all or gaming in general actually no i haven't look there's a caveat to this okay <laughs> so on my first pc my used amstrad pc 2386 dx65 i only ever had the shareware version of wolf 3d and i don't think i'm alone in that so when i say i've played it i i believe i've played it but what i've actually played is the first 10 levels and i played them over and over again at every difficulty level and what i used to do to get an extended period of play out of a demo disc like that or a shareware disc was try and complete it without dying even once <laughs> so you can really you can really stretch the enjoyability out of a shareware disc yeah, what about yourself
1: so i didn't play it back in the time when it was released uh, although obviously i played it since then uh, back then i was playing a game which People seem to ignore when they talk about FPS, Ultimate Underworld. Ultimate Underworld mm-hmm. came out just before it. It's a 3D action RPG. Um, maybe Elden Ring owes its roots to it. Um, with a fantastic engine from Looking Glass that went on to become System Shock and Bioforge, which are FPS games that are a bit more going on, uh, a bit more complicated. I, I don't think they've aged as well as Wolf and Doom, etc. Um, so I, I didn't play it back when it came out, but I did probably after I played Doom um so wolf doom heretic Hexen, quake half-life system shock bioforce duke unreal elite force or maybe it was the console ones goldeneye have you ever played an fps i assume not since we know you don't play games <laughs>
0: here we go again look um getting into it it's interesting that you suck RP, uh, rpgs into this conversation about FPSs as well because the first one i'm going to mention is is actually really an RPG. So I mentioned Captive again last week, one of my favourite games on the Amiga. And really, it's a sci-fi RPG or dungeon crawler, but it's kind of as close to a decent FPS as you could get on the A500 at the time. And Captive really did kind of feel like that because it was sci-fi it was futuristic and you're dealing with guns not casting spells at things so you're, you're going around these corridors on a space station shooting the heck out of everything so yeah there was a sort of fps element to it but fps is dave mate i love so many and i've played most of them um, that i'm about to go through at the time of release so this isn't just a random list of fps's these are ones that i've played and have fond memories for definitely not a D- definitive list i've played even more than this but these are the ones that really stick out for me so wolf 3d on pc obviously doom on pc and the jaguar alien versus predator on the jaguar golden eye on the n64 but also the remake on the wii and the reloaded version on the xbox 360 also played it on the ps3 actually taruk 2 and perfect dark on the n64 time splitters on the ps2 and 3 the Call of Duty franchise on Xbox 360 and PS3. Uh, Battlefield 3 on the PS3. Battlefield 4 on the PC and PS4. I must say I enjoy Battlefield 3 more than Battlefield 4 myself, but that's just me. Um, Fear 1, 2, and 3 played through them all on the the PS3 and Xbox 360. Half-Life 1 and 2. Day of Defeat and Counter-Strike, which were, of course, you know, mods to... to uh, Counter uh, to Half Life, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, uh, Allied Assault. Alien vs. Predator, one and two on PC, and then the later versions that came on the PS3, Resistance, Fall of Man on the PS3, Quake, one and two, Unreal, Unreal Tournament, one, two, and 2003 and 2004. 2004, of course, being the one where they started adding in vehicular warfare, which really extended it out and made it feel a bit more battlefieldy. Duke Nukem 3D, and i uh, spent a lot of time in the build editor making my own maps for that. Duke Nukem Forever, which I first bought on the PS3, played it through to completion, and then went, got rid of my PS3, have an Xbox 360, so bought it again on that, played it through to the completion on that, and again on the PC. Shadow Warrior on the PC. Return to Castle Wolfenstein, which we mentioned last week on the PC, which I talked about with Neil. Requiem, Avenging Angel. Now, this is what I would call, somebody could correct me, but I reckon this is the first game that actually includes a bullet time-like ability. Most people would quote Max Payne for that, but actually Avenging Angel came first in 1999 and is a very underrated title in my personal opinion. Doom 3. Doom 2016, Doom 3 VR, Doom VFR, the entire Bioshock trilogy, including the added content. i played through all of those. Uh, the entire Halo franchise. Actually, that's not true. When I say the Halo franchise, I'm really talking about 1, 2, and 3. I kind of lost interest after that because that was enough to much fun in multiplayer or single player. So I could go on, Dave, but look, they say I don't play games. I have to confess- you know, 50- 50. There we go. So Neil mentioned last week that he kind of got tired of FPSs and I kind of had to bite my lip a little bit. Um, I could never tire of F- of, a- of an FPS. I- it's just not something that occurs to me. That for me is one of the ultimate ways. It just immerses you because it's first person, mm-hmm. funnily enough. And in a way, I think it's great that, you know, Neil's got his niche, I've got my niche, um, and we have a good lot of crossover in things like flight sims and uh, racing games and that kind of thing. So I'm happy to fill a different gap. I absolutely love them. But look, that's not the question you asked. You said um, if I was to pick one, it would be Doom. And I say that because I played it back in the day, and I've recently played through Doom 1 and 2 again on my PS4. And it just holds up. It's as much fun now as it was back then. What about
1: yourself? So, first of all, I absolutely love Captive. Um, mm. I think if I hadn't played Dungeon Master first, then Captive might have been my favorite Atari ST dungeon crawler. It's such a good game. It's one of my favorite ST games. I think it's um, it's, it's basically identical in the, on the STs as it the, is on the Amiga. Um, I put loads of hours into hundreds if not thousands, at uh, the time when FP, FPS games were getting really popular, um, I was into something else—muds. I was into online text adventures, RPGs. Um, I, I so I only dipped in and out. Nothing, nothing like anywhere like as deep and heavy as you were in. But I did play most of them around the time they were released, particularly the Shareway ones. For me. The shareware version was enough for me to see. I, I, I was quite quite interested in the, the kind of tech demo of what they were doing because they were always pushing ways of getting the sense of speed and adrenaline and so on and the, the sounds and the graphics and so on. So the the, the, the the shareware versions of them, the demos were often enough for me to get the taste of them. Um, but I did play some uh, and I've just finished the, the shooter shelf of my collection and I, on it I have quake one and two and the four expansions quake three doom one two sigil which i haven't played at all which is the the kind of the, the kind of remastered uh, doom i understand that came out years later uh, half-life opposing force blue shift heretic Hexen, and duke 3d so those are all games that i i did play uh, a fair bit um when they came out uh, i also have elite force i've got system shock and Bioforge in other parts of the collection as well as all of the dark forces and jedi knight series so i do have I, i've got experience with it with 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 lots of them but i i didn't really get deep into them like you did i didn't really play them online um very much i was for for online play it was it, it was again muds were, were, were everything i did um so as to a favorite I think maybe I like the fantasy setting of Heretic better than, than the rest. Mm. But to be honest, it's Doom that I've played the most and probably Quake second. Um, so Doom's got to be it. I mean, they're, they're such both Doom and Quake are such good games. And it's a level design, I think, is great in them. the, the balance of the levels, the uh, how clever they are. Um, I did also fire, fire up some Wolfenstein uh, yesterday uh, where I was thinking about it and because I wanted to play it again, remind myself, see what it was like. And although there is an SD version, I played it on the PC and it's a bit more basic than I, than I remembered. Uh, I mm-hmm. remember it being a, a bit less basic than it is, um, but it's still good. I mean, it's it's the ga- they got the gameplay from FPS, I was going to say right first time because th- th- this wasn't their first one. This is the first very popular one and they got it right first time the basic gameplay spark is is there uh that, that's in all the ed games so it, it's already there uh, in will 3d uh, so john romero and john Carmack are magic
0: yeah no fantastic i i like you um i went to play it yesterday being being its birthday you know its anniversary. And so I went into my study nook in the other room and I fired up my beige IBM Aptiva and I hit F8 to go to the DOS prompt because it is a Windows 98 machine, I will be honest. It's far more powerful than, than Wolf 3D requires. I went to the DOS prompt. I really thought I had Wolf installed on that machine and I'd love to have had a quick go on its birthday, but alas, it wasn't installed on the machine. Oh. <laughs> and it was, it was getting late. I had Doom, I had Shadow Warrior, Duke 3D's on there and a whole heap of other games were on there x-wings on there but um no there was no wolf 3d gutted gutted so i went i went to bed dave it's, it's it's funny though thinking about uh that what what wolf 3d has meant for fpf games everyone sees doom as the beginning of it all you know usually when you say what well, was the first fps actually people quote doom more than they quote wolf 3d uh, as the genesis of the modern fps but i, I instantly think but what about Wolfenstein? That's my first thought when people say that.
1: Yeah, and if you say that, if you're going to say that Wolfenstein's the start of it, then what about Catacombs 3D? I mean, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. a lot of the gameplay is there in Catacombs. Wolfenstein's the, the first one that re- it really caught fire, though. That's the first yeah. one that everybody everybody played and got and got, got popular and got people talking about. Mm. So 30 years on, and FPS games are still supremely popular. The kids now call these games boomer shooters. And it's not because of the satisfying booms from the shotguns, it's because they're calling us all old boomers. They're playing Fortnite and whatever other remixes of the Battle Royale for FPS around now, but I think we can all agree that that, that, that Wolfenstein 3D is 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 the real father of the genre.
0: Oz Retro Comp is back, Dave. Um, He's been out of the running on stories recently, but he's back in the subreddit and at it again and with a rather interesting link, I think. So the link is to a YouTube video from Science Elf, and it's a new take on an old problem. So, and the problem being, how do you browse the internet on a classic computer? Before we get into this, is this something you do, Dave? Do you use your old kit to connect and actually read stuff online?
1: Well, I I don't like the modern internet. I want I want to bring back web pages created in Notepad. I don't like dynamically generated content loaded with content loading with tracking and ads and so on. Um, there is a search engine for old browsers called Frogfind, which I have used. It's not very easy doing it though. Um, I've used it on my Windows 98 PCs, um, but they really do struggle with almost every website because most websites have just thrown everything out in favour of the new ways. Um, so even with FrogFind, which is a search engine that that does work because other search engines don't, even with that to find things, you you, you don't really you're not able to find much. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's, it's a real problem. Um, I, I currently don't connect most of my, internet, uh, my my old kit to the internet, but um, part of that's <laughs> the paranoia about the viruses and knowing how e- exposable they <laughs> are, you know. But um, what science- You don't expose detail, yourself to the internet then? No, I don't expose my on the old kit, <laughs> on the new kit. Ah, okay. on the new kit. Oh, I don't I expose, do expose myself yourself. on the internet. We've gone to a whole different podcast now. Right, let's get back in, <laughs> into the story. So anyway, Science Self details the challenges from obviously the lack of Wi-Fi as one on old devices, because these days we seldom sit in the same room as the modem, uh, through to modern pages not displaying correctly on older devices, which is what you were just touching on there. And he's not shy of discussing the fact that the there are existing solutions, obviously. Ethernet to Wi-Fi bridges uh, for the hardware side obviously exist. And the excellent way um, to view old, sorry, into the web, as it used to be, is, of course, the Wayback Machine uh, run by archive.org, and that allows you to view web pages as they were in yesteryear, uh, and that's a really good way of doing it. But what he's done is he's basically created an internet time machine in a box, hence the IT reference. Box. No, a little black box, a little little black box, hence the uh, the IT crowd reference of, you know, it's the internet gen, because <laughs> that's what this thing really does remind me of. I couldn't resist. So the, the box he shows actually has um, uh, an o- o- OLED display on the front of it and a, and a knob on the top. But We'll come to um, talk about what they do in a moment. So this isn't the internet in a box. Let's be nope. clear here. No, so it's not the same as the IT crowd internet. It's not in the box. But what it is, is it's a combination of existing solutions and just done better and made very simple. So it's a bridge uh, between Ethernet and Wi-Fi, first and foremost. So that solves that hardware problem. But it's also an automatic pass-through to the Wayback Machine via an automated proxy. And it does this invisibly. So as far as I can make out anyway, on your retro computer, and he's using an original iMac for most of his video, you type the address of the website that you wanna visit that existed in the 90s, and that's it. So as far as you're concerned as a user, you're seeing that period correct website with none of the compatibility issues and none of the surrounding Wayback Machine interface. So you don't even realize you're using the Wayback Machine. So your 90s computer is simply browsing the internet as if it's in the 90s, and it gets better, okay? And when I saw this bit, this really made my jaw drop. So, using the OLED display and the rotating knob on the top of the machine, you literally twiddle the knob and you select the year you want to view, and it'll even change on the fly. So, if you're viewing the internet, so you're viewing a web page, one of the examples he shows is obviously the Apple website. He's viewing the web page. I can't remember what years he chose, but let's say it's 2002. He's viewing the 2002 Apple web page on his retro Mac. And then he turns the dial on top of his internet machine to say 1999 and the browser refreshes and he's now seeing what that website looked like in 1999 rather than 2002 on the fly. It's absolutely insane. What do
1: you make of this, Dave? Another Raspberry Pi project. Fantastic. Um, I I am going to try it. Uh, I'm I'm inspired to try it. do you know what I'd like better, though? I'd like it if more websites were made that were compliant with the old, simple standards and didn't oh, need yes. modern browsers to view them. I'm astonished at how well this project actually works, though, after watching the video. I, I didn't think it'd work as good as this. It works brilliantly. Uh, it's absolutely uh, it's mind-blowing how well it works.
0: It does. It, it, I can see why he's called it a time machine. It feels like a time machine when you're watching him view it. It's insane. But I like what you said there about... if. Only modern websites worked on the old kit. So, I mean, I, I haven't actually connected my Amiga up yet. It's something I've sort of shied away from doing. And part of that is because I know most of the web won't work. Fortunately, people that are putting things like WHD load um, packages out there and stuff have made their websites so that they work with old browsers such as, you know, those that you oh, that's a good on idea, Amiga. Yeah. yeah. But in my view, just like yourself, Modern websites should just work to a point. And and why I say that is part of my um, previous career, we talked a little bit about this last week, is in how to use technology in education. And as part of that, I had to really become across um, accessibility standards. So the the WCAG 2 compliance from Mm w3.org. And in there, and I used to mention these over and over again, mainly when mobile technology was becoming a thing and people were jumping on with that and then not realizing that, you had to create content for both platforms, not just one or the other. Um, And you saw that a lot, you know, in many industries. And in the guidelines, so 1.3 guideline, Content has to be adaptable. You you have to create content that could be presented in different ways. For example, a simpler layout without losing information or structure. Uh, Guideline 4.1 is compatible, maximize compatibility with current and future user agents, including assistive technologies. And why that's important for accessibility is because somebody might be using um, a a browser, which is a text-only browser. If you're compliant, that website should give you access to the information completely unhindered regardless of the device or the software that you've chosen to connect to that site. That's how it should work. That's just good design. And it's not just about disability. It's just about good design. You know, um, I, I always use the um, the example of, of, of a, a wheelchair ramp. Well, You don't have to be in a wheelchair to walk up it. It, Everybody benefits. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, that's how I see that kind of thing. So text-only browsers, screen readers, that kind of thing. If If you're designing a website to work with those, well, guess what? If you're connecting via a piece of retro kit, security certificates aside, let's be honest, they're a new thing and they're a necessary thing. So they do still create a rock for our backs. But those aside, we should be able to view these sites unhindered even on our old machines. That's my take on it anyway.
1: Yeah, standards compliant, proper web pages, and not the modern nonsense. Um, often, I, if I'm looking up an old fan site uh, for old games, it's just routine for the links to be dead and gone. Uh, and it does feel as if the internet we grew up with is buried under the new one just forgotten.
0: Yeah. that's crazy uh we've we've discussed it on the show before but i I have resisted i mentioned it again just now i have resisted tainting my amiga
1: machines with an internet connection tainting internet with your amiga machines
0: (laughs) that's not the way around i said it dave watch it or i'll go on to talking about the fact that um that midi devices dave they're they're just things that atari st users talk about they never use them anyway (laughs) we could start the whole playground war up again did you what did you use them for
1: music uh, recording
0: keyboards, uh, recording yep, and playing micro keyboards. There you go. So they, they were built for you. There was you and two other users. All right. <laughs> but anyway, look, Well, I forgot where I've got to now because <laughs> we've gone back to the playground. It's all good. But yeah, I, um, you know, for, for something like this project, my Windows 98 um, IBM Activa, well, that's mm. probably a good usage case. Um, you know, perhaps that machine could benefit from an internet connection. If nothing else, like I can download drivers, Easier, um, or just maps for jute Nukem 3D is probably what I would actually use it for. Yeah, I, um, I,
1: it's handy if you, if you're doing something on a Windows 98 computer. There's times at which you would go to the internet to do something, and exactly. to then have to do it on a different, separate computer, put it yeah. across on an FTP or whatever you want to do it across there. It, it's not, it's not great. So, so this hopefully would allow you to do those kind of things. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's funny when I first went to set up that machine. The irony was I I, I was browsing on my modern machine to find the drivers I needed to make the machine work, putting them on a USB stick, plugging that into the Aptiva, and then realizing it doesn't have a driver to view (laughs) a storage device through the USB port because that was a new thing. And so that was an update. And then, then I find myself writing CDRs and all of those kind of bizarre things just so I could get drivers across. So, yeah, an internet connection would be a helpful thing. So... I think anyway, it's a cool thing. Um, it's nearly the nineties internet in a black box. It solves some problems, and it does it in a very sleek way. So you know, head over to the subreddit and check it out if you think that's of interest to you. And on that, as always, I do just want to thank all of you that do contribute, and but I also want to encourage more people. Look, if you're new to the show. Don't be shy. Literally, the stories that we choose to cover, the majority of the stories we cover are found by you, the listeners, and chosen by way of upvoting by you as well. So head over there.
1: Yeah, upvote the stories you want us to talk about. Um, the, The more the story gets upvoted, that's you telling us this one. We want you to talk about this one.
0: Yeah, absolutely
1: um usually we would go to community question of the
0: week here dave um but so thanks to the magic well thanks to the magic of time travel just <laughs> turn the <trying> <laughs> <laughs> oh yes of course but that's why we need the internet <laughs> the internet time machine this would actually be a good use case in the future um but yeah the listeners have not had chance to respond to the question of the week because they haven't even heard it at time of recording so i'll ask you okay so the question was that the the um, listeners would have now heard by now but you haven't heard it yet what's the earliest recording of a game or or system that you did um ever uh how did you capture it was it rf into a vhs or was did you point a camera at a screen what did you do who did you show it to did they stop being your friends because that's a really nerdy thing to do do you still have the footage most importantly and would you share it with us if you did
1: I, i'm afraid to tell you that i've racked my brains and i cannot remember ever recording footage <laughs> in the way you've described i just n- never 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 been interested in doing it the most i've ever done is try to record some game footage but only on the machine itself, and only as a set of input instructions that the game can then replicate through. I've never been into the content creation at all. I've never wanted to make videos. So I've just never done it. It's never been my, my kind of thing. And imagine you might, because you do have your own channel. You like making videos. Never <laughs> been a thing for me. But um, I do have a device. I It's the one that Neil recommended. And I when I saw it really cheap at eBay, i like to grab a bargain on ebay so i I got it and i do have a secret idea for a project that i might do with it i'm not going to say anything about um but i've watched so many thousands of hours of other people's captured footage i love uh, a let's play series on youtube i've watched so many at the moment um i watch a lot of a channel called gears of games because he's he, he does dungeon crawlers um so that's captured footage there. I am a huge consumer of it, but I never actually make it myself. What about you? Nah,
0: that's fair enough. Yeah, I don't capture very often. In terms of the first one I captured, we discussed that in last week's show that you haven't listened to yet. Um, but yeah, there, there were some some stories about connecting my Amiga up to a VHS player, not not to record game footage, but for projects for GCSE and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just an interesting space. And that question came off the back of um, a story we covered Um about a channel that's popped up where a guy has unearthed some gameplay VHS tapes that he made back in the day and he's making them available on YouTube. So it's sort of quite mm-hmm. a interesting new space. So look, for those of you that, um, for, that have been contributing to that question of the week on the subreddit, obviously we will cover your answers in next week's show. You haven't been forgotten and we'll set a new question up for you in that show as well so just an extra week to get your um for us to go through your your questions and and get our heads together on that so dave seriously this has been a pleasure thank you so much for filling in for neil um and uh for sharing your experiences
1: i i I enjoy being here it's a it's a great experience doing a little bit of research and chatting to you um so i hope at some point in the future i'll come back again um and thank you for the listeners for for being with us. I hope they don't mind um that Neil's isn't here this week. So, um thank you for for your attention.
0: Cool, and all the best to Neil as well with everything that's going on with the opening of the cave, the um face to face events, including colouring in. Keep inside those la- lines, Dave. That's all. That's I've the been only tip sharpening my in. crayons. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Lots of beige, beige. In fact, just beige. <laughs> that's all you need.
1: Actually, yes. Who's your cat? What's your cat's name? cat is called johnny johnny is my is my cat he has been underneath the the recording area for most of the thing um but he's um he's my pal he's he, he is always where i am i work from home so he's always beside me so
0: for those of you listening treat. on the podcast johnny's been there is it an all black cat
1: he's an all black all cat yeah yeah beautiful
0: and dave has been sitting in front of his wonderful um shelves full of his um games collection you mentioned at the beginning dave that you've pretty much finished is that what what's the parameters around your collecting is it only the games you had back in the past or
1: so i've collected all the games that i had in the past that i either really liked or feel was unfinished business there i've collected other games in those series so um all the gold box games, for example, the the and the, the d gold, gold box games. I didn't play them all. I played a few, but I've now got them all because I want to play them all. Um, I've collected um, games uh, from all those until my shelves are full. So I now have, I've got all the DD games. I have all the Infocom games, uh, all the um the the shooters i won, all the sierra games and compilations the lucasarts games i've got those all the star wars games all the star trek games uh loads of atari st games that i played most orange games um you can see a line of uh psygnosis games there um loads of ssi games all the ultimas uh rainbird games there in the little blue boxes um so i've now filled the shells there's not really room for anything else so if i don't have it and i want it something else i'll have to go oh that's a that's a good position to be in and yeah a hard one as well yeah that's fantastic
0: no thanks for sharing that so again once again thank you so much for joining us today and um we'll tune in everybody next week thanks dave bye
1: this week in retro was presented by neil thomas from rmc cave and Chris Winter from 005 Gima. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel.
0: Join our community subreddit at r slash This in Retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.